Great, let's read together from God's Word. My thanks to the, the team already this morning who have done the work for me, but we're going to read from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 9. Therefore, writes Peter, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is the word of God. May God add a blessing to his word this morning. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, it is again a joy for us to gather in this manner. We're so grateful, Father, that you ordained this day, the Lord's day, and set it apart for your glory. That we might gather together from the normal routines of life and focus our attentions on you. So we bless you, Lord, that in the tumultuous times we find ourselves in, that at least this day is still protected in some measure. And we acknowledge your goodness here. And we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather. And as we gather, we are so blessed and we're so grateful because we are assured the eternal presence of a loving Heavenly Father right here in our midst by your Holy Spirit. God is here. And that to bless us. What a privileged people we are this morning. We acknowledge your goodness. And Father, we look forward to all that you have for us today. We thank you, Father, for the team who have led us already and for teaching us, speaking to us already through them. We thank you for your holy word, the, the wonderful word of God, the scriptures. How blessed we are that we can open these scriptures freely this morning. We are mindful of brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who do not enjoy this level of freedom. So we thank you, Lord, that in these days you've extended this freedom to us. And uh, as we open these scriptures, this living word of God, we do pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing might take these scriptures apply them to our hearts and lives. Might our hearts burn within us 
this morning. Because God is here by His Spirit and is here to bless. So we commend ourselves to you as a fellowship, many brothers and sisters not here, for many and varied reasons. We pray your touch upon them in their absence. Draw close to them, we pray. And whatever their need is, we believe that our God is able to meet that need. So come in power, Lord, beyond these four walls, and touch the hearts and the lives, the minds, the spirits of our brothers and sisters not with us. But we, your children here gathered, we are needy. And we pray for ourselves, for the young church next door. Give them a good time as they once again uh, learn more about the wonders of Calvary. And what Calvary means to us. And us, Lord, as we gather around these scriptures, we pray, Lord, that you might minister to our hearts. That your word this morning might be for us that living bread. That we might feast upon it. That, uh, that living water that we might drink deep from it. We thank you, Lord, that you have said that, that uh, you, are, uh, you give us living waters. You said to the woman at the well, if anyone drinks of the well of Jacob, they will thirst again. But if anyone drinks of the water that I give him, they will never thirst. For the water that I give will become in him a well of water springing up unto eternal life. Oh, Lord, how we long to drink deep of this spiritual water this morning and refresh our souls as a consequence. And so we ask these things, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We are thinking, of course, about Bible heroes and the giants. The greatest Bible hero, of course, is our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And friends, I use this expression of Jesus with the utmost respect and in the very best of spirits. Jesus' significant giant, of course, was the cross. The Apostle Paul reflected of Jesus. Saying, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death. On the cross. Even death. On the cross. The cross. Was Jesus. Ultimate heroic act. So to speak. This friends. Is the ultimate sacrifice. There is no greater love. Than this. Jesus became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Christians, you and I, of course, in Christ, we are the beneficiaries of the cross. Consequently, as Christ gave himself his life for us, so we are called 
to give our lives for him. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, he, she must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. A natural thing for one who is, of course, a beneficiary of the cross. To give our lives for the one who gave his life for us. The Christian is called to a life of sacrifice. The Apostle Paul reflected in Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted, listen, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Paul is communicating here an extraordinary privilege. It is granted us not only to believe on him, wonderful though that is, but also to suffer for him. Friends, naturally, we give our lives to the one who gave his life for us. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, we read of Jesus, our great high priest who offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And in so doing, he has made us into a royal priesthood. How wonderful. Old Testament language, I grant you, but this priesthood motif runs throughout Old and New Testaments, does it not? Jesus, the great high priest, yielded himself to a Roman gallows so that you and I might be this morning members of a royal priesthood. Now priests, of course, live lives of sacrifice. Do they not? Peter observes in our scripture reading of 1 Peter 2, in verse 5, you are being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now friends, as we endeavor to follow the example of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, what are the implications of us following thus? What are the spiritual sacrifices of which Peter writes. Well, as time allows, I want us to focus on just three such spiritual sacrifices. Though I do acknowledge, friends, that the subject is much, much bigger than this. So, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, what are the implications for Doug Atherton? On the 7th of May 2017. What are the implications for you? If you're in Christ. A member of the royal priesthood. Of the eternal God. What are the implications? Well if you're a priest you offer sacrifices. What sacrifices are expected of you and I this morning? Just three. Firstly. The sacrifice of a broken life. Let me refer you to the Psalms and Psalm 51. I wish we had the time to read it all and spend time 
in this beautiful psalm. But we haven't. But just a couple of verses. Psalm 51, the psalmist David, with a broken heart, of course, subsequent to the circumstances in his life at that time, prayed this prayer. In verse 16 he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, he says, are a broken spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Friends, this is missing amongst many evangelicals today. The sense of penitence and brokenness before a holy God. God is looking for broken people. There are Christians today who are, should I say, far too whole. <laughs> they have not been broken. One of my spiritual heroes, I make no secret of it, is the late Duncan Campbell. That great Scottish saint who was used by God in revival in the Hebrides and other parts of uh, Scotland and even down into northeastern England during the late 40s, 50s. Duncan Campbell was a Christian. More than that, he was an ordained Scottish minister. He would wear his clerical collar and his three-quarter coat from week to week as he, his, as he as he preached the word of God from pulpit to pulpit. He was invited to preach at the great missionary convention in Bangor, Northern Ireland. Huge convention today, even more so in those days. Not just hundreds, but thousands would attend to hear the word of God expounded and preached. Duncan Campbell was there, called to preach. He was sat behind the person who was convening the meeting. And they were singing songs of praise and songs of mission and songs of challenge. And as he was sat behind waiting to take uh, the lectern, so to speak, to preach the word of God, the Holy Spirit came upon this Scottish minister. and said, Duncan, what are you going to preach this morning? Oh, says Duncan, as he responded to the Spirit, I'm going to preach about the Holy Spirit. Oh, says the Spirit, you're going to preach about me. Duncan, you're going to preach theology. You're going to preach how the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and brought forth from chaos the cosmos. You're going to preach about how the Holy Spirit brooded over the matrix of the Virgin Mary and brought forth forth. God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to preach about how the Holy Spirit came as, as a wind and as a fire at Pentecost and breathed life into the Christian church, the birth of the Christian church. Duncan, you're going to preach theology. But what do you know about the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Here he was, this great, great Scottish saint. This renowned Scottish minister. Here, this audience of thousands waiting to hear him. And the Holy Spirit broke him. I knew the theology. Knew the scriptures. 
But he didn't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he was broken. So broken he got up and said to the convener, I'm going. Oh, he says, I'll sing till you get back. Don't do that. He says, I'm not coming back. Can you imagine? And here he was, this Scottish minister. He got down from the platform, walked right through that church in Bangor and went to stay in his hotel. God met with him. The story goes that he went back to the hotel room and and lay prostrate before God for hour after hour after hour, longing for an anointing. Oh, he was a Christian, a minister. As such, he was filled with the Spirit, but he wasn't anointed. He was depending upon what he knew and enjoyed in past experience. That was good for then. But he needed the anointing now. Too many evangelicals are depending upon what they experienced in the past. Good though it was. Wonderful days though they were. But what about today? If you're a member of a the royal priesthood of the Almighty God. God is looking for you to offer your sacrifice today. A sacrifice of a broken life. Duncan Campbell later gave testimony <laughs> that the following morning, all night he lay prostrate before God. The following morning, his daughter came into the hotel room Daddy, she says, what's the matter? What's the matter? He couldn't answer. He was overcome. Overcome. How could he? How could he be a minister, a preacher, without the anointing? Anyway, his daughter went away and came back a number of hours later. Said, oh, Daddy, what's the matter? She feared for his, she, she feared for his sanity. And this, this daughter, she was a brilliant scholar in the University of Edinburgh. She put her hands on her daddy and prayed for her daddy. Oh, God, touch daddy. And Duncan Campbell says, at that moment, I don't know whether I was in the body or I was out of the body, but I had an experience, an experience of God. And you know what he saw? He had a vision. And it was a vision of hell. Ooh. God met with him. It revolutionized his life. And it broke him before God and man. And he was never the same minister, the same preacher, the same Christian again. Friends, we are living, are we not, in a superficial age. Let's make no mistake about it. There's no or little depth. And this superficiality is invading the Christian church. If we are going to see revival, as I understand the scriptures, we must be a broken people. Yes, I know when we are converted, God makes us whole. But in the same breath as being made whole, He breaks us, doesn't He? He breaks us. Christ was broken on the cross for us. And He's looking for Christians who are broken. Sadly, I believe he looks down upon modern evangelicals here in the free West and he sees Christians who are full of themselves. Christians who are going their own ways. 
Christians are occupied, preoccupied, consumed with their own lives. And God looks for a broken people. You know, it's an interesting study. God loves broken things. Read the scriptures. He loves broken things. How did God put the rainbow in the sky? By broken light. How did God use Gideon and a handful of men to defeat the might of the Midianites? He used broken pitches. How did Christ, the Son of God, feed the multitude? He used broken bread. When the woman brought the alabaster jar to anoint the Lord Jesus, how was the house so filled with the perfume? By the breaking of the jaw. There's no other way, my friends. We need to be a broken people if we are going to see blessing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 28, There are not many wise, not many influential, not many noble, but God chose. What did he choose? Who did he choose? The foolish things of this world. The weak, the lonely. He chooses, he's looking for, he's longing for the broken. God wants us to offer the sacrifice of brokenness. There's a lot of talk these days about faith, which is right, I'm sure. But perhaps there's too much emphasis upon faith. Saving faith, friends, only operates in the atmosphere of repentance. And when we speak about repentance, what are we speaking about? Brokenness. Brokenness. As David beat his chest and cried, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Brokenness. Brokenness. Oh yes, God honors faith. But salvific faith is in the atmosphere of repentance. For there is no salvation without repentance. And repentance comes with a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, said David. You will not despise. Much talk these days about sacrifices of praise. I love sacrifices of praise. I love corporate and private worship. But perhaps, perhaps we can be guilty of of getting it out of perspective. Unless our sacrifices of praise are balanced with a sacrifice of brokenness, then the, the danger is our praise is all froth. All froth. A broken and contrite heart. Father, you will not despise. You're a member of the royal priesthood in Christ. What a privilege. God is offering, you offer a sacrifice of brokenness. Secondly, a sacrifice of a devoted life. Sacrifice of a devoted life. Paul writes to the Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 5, if I can find it, 
in verse 2. There's an amazing scripture. Be imitators of God, he says. Be imitators of God. <laughs> That's God's expectation of you and I. He's not asking for much, is he? Is he? <laughs> Be imitators of God? Paul, have you lost your mind? Paul, have you gone off your trolley? Be imitators of God? As dearly loved children, he says, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here's the key. Here's what Paul's getting at. Be imitators of God. How? How can I, Paul? By offering yourself. Offering yourself as a sacrifice. He's speaking here about the sacrifice of a devoted life. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now you Old Testament scholars, of course, will know. In the Old Testament, there were seven offerings. Seven offerings. Four of those seven were sin offerings. These were the obligatory, mandatory, legal, if you like, the legal offerings that had to be made. Three of the seven were burnt offerings. These were the voluntary offerings. These are described as offerings that uh, are a sweet-smelling savor. A sweet-smelling offering that are designed to, to rise before God as an expression of one's love and give pleasure to God. You are offering these sacrifices not because you must, but because you want to. And why do you want to? Well, you love Him. You love Him. It's no chore. It's, it's, it's not a difficult thing. You love Him. These are the offerings that are voluntary. I love Him and I offer these offerings voluntary. Now there's a great deal of legal offerings within the confines of the church of God. But what about the offerings of love? I'm looking around at uh, many this morning who will no doubt have pierced ears. You got pierced ears? I haven't, but... I should. Metaphorically speaking, I should have at least one pierced ear. In the New Testament, the bondservant had a pierced ear. The bondservant had come to the end of his service with his master, usually seven years within Judaism. And his master, as a law would dictate, was to set his servant free. You're free to go. But the bondservant, he so loved his master. He could go to his master and say, Master, I love you. Master, I love being in your service. Master, I want to remain in your service. And the master would take him and he would pierce his ear and he'd remain a servant of the master for his, for his entire life. A bond servant. A love servant. Voluntarily bound to his master. Because he loves him. I should have my ear pierced. Because voluntarily. 
Out of a deep love and a, and, a, and a heartfelt gratitude, I want to say to my Jesus, Jesus, I love you. I want to give myself to you. I don't want to belong to anybody else. I don't want to live my life my way. I don't want to please the flesh. I want to give my entire existence to you. Metaphorically, Lord, pierce my ear. The love sacrifice. It's a natural thing that comes from a devoted life. A broken heart. I love you, Lord. I lift up my voice and I worship you. My soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet song in your ear. My friends, that's not just mere oratory. That's not mere, 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 mere tunefulness. That should be expressions of our heart. An offering of a devoted life. Let's not just sing about it. Let's not just talk about it. Let's hunger and thirst for it. We love Him. Of course we love Him. Why wouldn't we love Him? The one who yielded to a Roman gallows. Not for his own sake, but for mine. The one who gave up his spirit. Not for his own sake, but for mine. The one who had descended into the very depths of hell, bearing my sorrow, my shame. Not for his own sake, but for mine. Why wouldn't I love him? The one who gives me meaning when I wake in the morning. One prayer promises me protection when I, when, I, when I go to bed at night. Mine. The one who guides me through life, gives me strength in the difficult times, gives me joy, gives me peace. Jesus. Why wouldn't I love him? A member of a royal priesthood, I offer my sacrifices as a priest of the Almighty, a sacrifice of a broken heart, brokenness, contriteness sacrifice of a devoted life I love you Jesus and thirdly the sacrifice of a disciplined life in Romans chapter 12 we know the scripture so well don't we Paul writes therefore brethren I urge you notice the, the language there the English language doesn't really do the original Greek justice it's as though he's saying, brethren, I urge you. You get the point? He wasn't, this is not mere oratory. This is, this is, uh, this is a pastor of a church who's pleading with the congregation in such a way it's almost embarrassing. You've been there, haven't you? When someone gets up and says something and it's, it's a bit sort of nerdy and a bit embarrassing. The Apostle Paul probably would have embarrassed himself here. That's how passionate he was. As he urged these brothers and sisters in Rome, I urge you in view of God's mercy. What do we do in view of God's mercy? How do we respond in view of God's mercy? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The AV says this is your reasonable service. Reasonable? Of course. How else would I react? How else would I react? 
as a beneficiary of the mercy of God. How else would I react as a beneficiary of the cross of Christ? How else would I react? But to offer my body as a living sacrifice. Friends, we're talking here about a disciplined life. Body, soul and mind, tripartite, a disciplined life. Present yourselves to God as living sacrifices. Now, of course, brethren, we cannot discipline ourselves into the kingdom of God. There is no working our way into the favor of the Almighty. Our very best, says, the, says uh, Isaiah, is like, are like filthy rags in His sight. However... However, as those who this morning have been cleansed in the precious blood of Christ, as those this morning who are born again wonderfully of the Spirit of God, what's the expectation? What's our reasonable service? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What does Christ see when he surveys the 21st century church in the free west? What does he see? Does he see a church offering itself as a living sacrifice? What's that mean? Well, you have to read Romans. It won't take you long. It's the great book. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Well, in Romans 6 verse 11, Paul speaks about counting ourselves dead to sin. Hallelujah. And so we can. Why? Because we are cleansed. We are forgiven. Count yourselves dead to sin. Romans 6, 11 through 13. Offer, yield yourselves to God, he says. Matthew 16, 24, we know Christ says, deny yourselves, take up your cross. Here, friends, is the challenge of a disciplined life, of self-discipline. You say, oh, that sounds all very legalistic, pastor. No, my friends, it doesn't. What preceded the sacrifice of self-discipline? The sacrifice of a broken heart. (laughs) If you're broken before God, this isn't legalism. This is a reasonable thing. What precedes the sacrifice of a disciplined life? It's the, it's the sacrifice of a devoted life. An expression of love. This isn't legalism. This is a natural expression of one who is thrilled to belong to Jesus. The pastor shouldn't be beating us over the head week after week after week after week that we might live such a life. It should be the most natural thing in the world. Because we're members of a, a royal priesthood. <gasps> Friends, I think we have to be Orthodox Jews to understand the dynamics of that, don't we? Maybe born and brought up in Orthodox Judaism. I have a friend who, who lives and ministers in Carmiel in the north of Israel. He was a, a Jew, an Orthodox Jew who was living in Brazil. With his family, God wonderfully saved him. And he heard the call of God to go home. (laughs) To Israel. Never lived there. Nor had his parents. But he went home to Israel. To be a Messianic Jew serving the Lord there in in Carmel in the north. Just just, uh, 15, 20 miles west of, of, of Galilee. Beautiful. 
And, and I tell you what, I love, to, I love to sit down with him and talk with him. Because his understanding of these things is so precious. Me being a Gentile, I don't grasp it the same. Holy priesthood, he'd say. Holy priesthood, how wonderful. And he'd get excited. Because <laughs> he understood what the priesthood meant to the Orthodox Jew. And how significant it was in the life of the Orthodox Jew. To be a member of the royal priesthood of, of the Almighty God. Hallelujah. What impact does that have on our lives? Well, we offer sacrifices. For that is what priests do. Sacrifice of a broken heart. Friends, you're broken before God. Nothing in my hand I bring, says this hymn writer, simply to thy cross I cling. Is that where you are? Nothing in my hand. I'm broken, Lord. Claiming, pleading nothing of myself. I'm broken. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless. Helpless. Look to thee for grace. Foul. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior. Wash me, Savior. Wash me, Savior. That we were broken. You look at the cross. How else can you? How else can you feel the brokenness? He did it for me. For me. And as one of Mazes' wonderful songs goes, if I was the only person on the earth, he still have did it for me. For me. Hallelujah. And because I'm broken, I offer a sacrifice of, of love and devotion. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. The pastor doesn't need to beat me over the head to worship. The worship leader doesn't need to, to get the right tune for me to, to, be, to be in the spirit this morning. I love you, Lord. I don't need to be in agreement with the right hymns that he's chosen. My, my heart's in agreement with the, with, with the Lord. I love you, Lord. My discipline life is natural. It's my reasonable service that I might discipline myself. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Really, Paul? It's a bit extreme, isn't it? You read Romans 7. He says, I beat my body and make it my slave. And that's how we need to be, as, as those who are offering our lives as spiritual sacrifices. Because whilst we are in Christ, we are, of course, remaining on the planet Earth. And therefore surrounded by the world and the flesh and the devil and all the uh, wildly influences. Of course it's tough. Of course it's difficult. Of course we need to be disciplined. Offering our bodies as, as, as living sacrifices. We need to be disciplined. So that we, that we live the kind of lives that bring glory to God. So you think about your life. I think about mine regularly. What am I doing? What am I doing that's not bringing glory to God? Discipline it. What places do I go to that do not bring glory to God? Bring it under the blood of Christ. What kind of language do I use that is not bringing glory to God? Bring it under the blood of Christ. Oh, my friends, we need to discipline ourselves. We need to discipline our diets. Stanley Jones used to say, more people commit suicide with a knife, fork, and spoon than with anything else. 
But we should discipline our diets. We should discipline our leisure time. Good to have leisure. But too much. Discipline our leisure time. It was William Booth said, God will make, might, might wake you up in the morning, but he won't get you up. It's true, isn't it? See, God hasn't made us. God has saved us wonderfully, hasn't he? Born again of the Spirit of God. What a wonderful thing. But he hasn't made us robots. He wants our offerings not to be of the four mandatory type, but of the three voluntary type. I love you, Lord. Getting up in the morning early to spend time with you, not a problem. I love you. Disciplining my, the places I go, the, the, the company I keep for the sake of the kingdom, not a problem. I love you. Making sure that I, I, I'm, I'm not unequally yoked in, in life or in business or in, in circumstance, that's not a problem, Lord, I love you. <laughs> not a difficult thing. I discipline myself because I love you. It's the most natural thing. It's my reasonable service. It's not legalism. Oh, my friend, please, don't get me wrong. It's not legalism. It's a natural expression of a heart of love for one who has fallen in love with the most wonderful, wonderful person in the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again. What's, what's our response to that? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable service. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your scripture. Oh God, it challenges our hearts. We look at the cross and we focus on Christ and we wonder, why, Lord, would you do that for me? What can I do in return? Here I am, Lord, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. The fields are ripe unto harvest. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Help us, Lord, to offer our reasonable service in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.